Hi, this is Miko Matsumura. And Gabby Dizon of Yield Guild Games. The dope platform where you can earn yield through blockchain-based games. We are on the edge of NFT, the dope podcast that brings you all you need to know about the NFT space. Keep listening. Hey there, NFT curious listeners. Stay tuned for today's episode and find out how today's guests are changing the way people earn a living through blockchain gaming. Why selling stamps to fund a real castle to host guild games might end up on the Yield Guild roadmap. Yeah, and how Azuki's went from zero to holy Azuki's Batman in a month's time. All this and more on today's episode. Enjoy. And remember, NFTLA is coming March 28th to the 31st. It'll be an unforgettable experience featuring the creme de la creme in the NFT space. Head on over to nftla.live to get your tickets as early as possible for best pricing. And if you or someone you know wants to partner with us to co-create this special, unforgettable experience, there are still opportunities to get involved, but they're also going fast. So please reach out to us at contact at edgeofnft.com. And of course, head in there and rate us at iTunes or Spotify. Welcome to The Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features guests Miko Matsumura and Gabby Deason to talk about Yield Guild games. Let's talk about Gabby first, though. He's a startup entrepreneur and a 15-year veteran of the gaming industry in Southeast Asia. Gabby is the co-founder of YGG, a play-to-earn gaming guild. YGG invests in yield-producing NFTs in games and virtual worlds and organizes its player community from around the world to earn an income from playing these games. He has been making games since 2003 and has shipped 20 plus games on mobile and PC platforms. He is also the co-founder and CEO of Altitude Games, a mobile and crypto game developer and chairman of Alto.io, a platform that connects games to the blockchain. These days, he is most excited about the various applications of blockchain for the game industry. Gabby is also a founding member and former president of the Game Developers Association of the Philippines and former coordinator of the IGDA Manila chapter. Yield Guild is a play-to-earn gaming guild bringing players together to earn via blockchain-based economies. They are settlers of a new world in the metaverse. Let's get a little bit about Miko, who's here too, a general partner with GCC Gumi Cryptos Capital, a Silicon Valley investment fund with over $500 million in assets, including early stage investments in unicorns like, might have heard a few of these, OpenSea, Yield Guild Games, Celsius Network, Vega Protocol, Credo with a Q at the beginning, Agoric, Estar, and One Inch Network. Miko fell in love with open source software 25 years ago as chief developer evangelist for the Java programming language and platform at Sun Microsystems. Since then, he has been building open source software startups in Silicon Valley, including raising over 50 million in venture capital for developer platform companies such as Gradle and 
financial infrastructure companies like Hazelcrest and has participated in multiple exits, including Infravio, Web Methods, and DB40. He is an advisor in successful startups like Celsius, Idle Finance, Pundi X, and Keyless. He holds a master's degree in neuroscience, hey, a fellow neuroscientist from Yale University, where he worked on abstract computational neural networks. Welcome to the program, guys. Great to have you. Hey, hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, nice being here. So at first question, super important. This is for Miko. Sally's or Peppy's? Come on. What do we got? Oh, yeah. Peppy's for sure. Peppies, all right. <laughs> just, just making sure we're in good company here. All right. We're in good shape. All right. Little, little pizza insider stuff for New Haven, Connecticut. So guys, welcome. Amazing. We're so excited to have you here. And look, we want to start our listeners off at the beginning of Yield Guild Games. Like, tell us about the origin story. Like, Gabby, how did this idea come about and how did you actually bring it all together? Well, as you guys know, my background is as a game developer, but I got into crypto in 2017. I've heard about Bitcoin a few years prior, but the main use case in the Philippines was around remittances. And I wasn't so interested in that because I was a game developer. So it wasn't around 2017 when we heard about Ethereum and smart contracts. And that's what got us interested in looking into crypto. We were playing around with Solidity to see how the concept of programmable money could eventually make its way into games. And while we were doing that, CryptoKitties came out. I don't know if you remember this, late 2017, crashed the Ethereum network, popularized the NFT. And that was really the kind of holy shit moment for me. It's like, holy shit, like NFTs are going to change everything. Let's dive deep into it. So yeah, since then, early 2018, just got really deep into NFTs. Turns out that NFTs wouldn't change the world for a few more years, but uh, those were really a few educational years trying to figure out everything I could about NFTs. I started playing Axie Infinity in late 2018 and like fast forward 2020, I was still playing Axie. This was during the early part of the COVID lockdown and people in my country started discovering the game as a way to earn some income during the lockdown. So a lot of people lost their jobs, were at home, didn't have any money, and they were using Axie Infinity as a way to earn money during the lockdown. And these are people who didn't have any prior crypto experience. They were basically gamers who wanted to use their, their gaming skill as a way to earn. And when we saw this, we saw that you know it was something that we could scale to players around the world. You know, With games like Axie that have a player and component, usually you need to have the NFTs to play. So you have to buy the NFTs, but a lot of people couldn't afford it. So we started Yield Guild as a way to provide access to people around the world, to the crypto economy, by aggregating the NFTs and then lending them out to people who can play them and uh, earn an income. Yeah. What a game changer for so many people out there, right? The ability to make a living out of playing these games on the blockchain. I mean, people have been in competitive gaming, you know, for a while and, and earning a living, but you got to really work your way into that. And it's a whole other level, right, of, of competition and whatnot. So to be able to do it and access it really at your fingertips, if you're willing to take that step. Wow. What a change that we've experienced. Yeah, it's really interesting. Also, the parallels of, of your journey and the journey of Axie Infinity and the play to earn market. And it'd also be great to learn a little bit more about Miko and how your story intersected with YGG and why did it intersect after all? Because there's a lot of different things that you've been involved in and clearly something about what Gabby was doing caught your attention. 
Yeah. So we're founder first investors. So like, you know, actually I'd been sort of circling the globe, you know, looking for genius founder entrepreneurs. So, you know, I actually met Gabby in various points around the world prior. <laughs> so like, you know, that's a super qualifying thing, you know, so I was kind of immediately you know, attracted to his entrepreneurship, you know, and it was very exciting because I had also met with Beryl, who was his co-founder, you know, under different contexts with different friends, right? So I had already kind of connected with them in several different ways, right? So I was already kind of very intrigued, right? But, you know, I think when Gabby explained what he was doing, you know, I really couldn't be more excited because, you know, for me, it really harkens back to, you know, being a World of Warcraft player and thinking about guilds, right? So if you go back to guilds, guilds, the only thing that can ruin a guild is what I call loot drama, right? Which is the unfairness, the unfairness of getting rewards, right? And so one of the things that I really knew deep in my heart is that like Gabby is sort of in a way destined to be the fair leader, right? That we need, we need someone who has this kind of sense of justice and sense, you know, really is, is coming from a great place. So, you know, to me, like, because the goal is to make a guild that can change the world. And so, you know, I think the amount of fairness that you need to scale to that size is really pretty impressive, right? Because it's so easy to like, become sort of uh, corrupted by all of the power. So, you know, so we, I think that was kind of the core thesis for us is like, this yeah. is the right team. Yeah, cool. Yeah, the funny that. thing about what Nico was saying was that, like, if you had experience playing games like World of Warcraft, being part of a guild, it actually directly contributed to the genesis of the startup. And Miko was, when we pitched the idea to Miko, he actually really got the concept immediately. And it was because he was a World of Warcraft, he was an MMO player. And that's just really cool. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, let's get into the details a little bit here about how Yield Games is onboarding, you know, let's say the next billion, right, through play to earn and scholarships. Uh, how's that happening? So we're set up as a community. So we have what we call uh, scholarship managers or community managers that are all over the world. And they have access to our assets, be they axes or fancy birds or other NFTs. And then they go out and recruit players in their local communities. So these community members are not employees of the Yield Guild. They're basically part of the community that have access to our assets. And then they go out and uh, recruit and train people from the local communities that then start playing the game to earn an income. In this way, we can really grow and scale throughout the world. So now we have player communities in Philippines where we started. We have Indonesia, Thailand, Malaysia, India, Venezuela, Colombia, Brazil, pretty much growing many places around the world, but especially in developing countries where, you know, earning a couple of hundred dollars a month extra is life changing. And you can use that extra income first to pay down, uh, to pay for food, later on to become more of an investor to own crypto assets. And our goal is to turn all of these gamers into investors and be in control of their financial destiny. It's so cool. And we, you know, we get a chance to speak about it on the podcast and you know, the topic comes up quite a bit and we have various touch points about it. But, you know, clearly you guys are one of the sort of most on the ground on this movement. Right. And it's really cool to to see how you're making it happen. And also it's cool that this is going on. Right. 
I mean, I was impressed by the current coin market cap, right? It's is it three hundred billion dollar. Is that correct? Where you guys are at right now? It's where is it at? I actually don't know. Like three billion FDV. There you go. So three billion dollars of value created in just a relatively short amount of time. Yeah, it's been a crazy ride. <laughs> One of the things that I talk about a lot and I get excited about just to that point is when we think about like what was happening in 2017, 2018, there was definitely a lot of paper value being created, right? And but that that can dry up pretty quickly and it did based on a number of things that the you know, that came together. But really what we're talking about is is a different type of value being created now, right? Like real revenue being created, real impact being created in measurable ways, like definitively measurable ways. And that to me is what's really cool about this iteration of crypto and blockchain, all the fun things that are happening. And it goes to really a question I have, and that's around the year in retrospective and kind of the stats that you guys, you know, released coming through to the end of 2021. And, you know, I'm curious about that. Like, how did, are those metrics that you guys track throughout the year and and you talk about within the community? How do you feel about transparency around performance and and various, uh, you know, key statistics that you guys uh, track internally? Like, what are your thoughts on that overall? And and, and what was the inspiration for, for sharing this kind of information? Well, we're a community-based project first and foremost. So we feel that uh, the transparency is really important for the community to know exactly how the guild is doing. We don't see ourselves as something like a you know hedge fund or a financial company. So how we perform is really what we do, and we do it in service of the players that we have all over the world. So we just owe the, the transparency to our players to so that they know exactly what's happening with the funds that we've raised, where it's going, and how we're serving the community. Yeah, dude, that's crazy. Just to call out a couple of them, like I was I was looking like 10,000 plus Axie Infinity scholars, 100,000 members in the Discord community. That's insane. Like what a... Yeah, I mean, and that's really, over 16,000 now. So we've grown quite a bit since the end of December. Amazing, man. Amazing. So many cool statistics across the board there. And again, measurable value creation, right? It's, this is a, a totally different age of blockchain and gaming and all the fun things that are happening there. So really cool stuff. So as we look ahead, dude, like you obviously can't do this alone. It's about community to a large degree, right? And community within the folks that are are participating in the guild directly, and then partnerships that help you grow. So could you tell me a little bit about how you form those partnerships? What's forthcoming on that front? Like anything exciting that, you know, you can share with our listeners? Well, uh, yeah, first of all, on the game side, we've bought assets of over 30 games already. And yeah, these are games that have different types of mechanics that will allow our player community to enjoy the games and uh, have a chance to earn some income. Games like Fancy Birds, which just released this week, Cyball, Big Time. Yeah, there's just an incredible amount of games that are coming in the next couple of years. And I think that the landscape which has been dominated by Axie last year. And, you know, Axie is even releasing a new version of their gameplay at the end of this quarter. There's just going to be a huge amount of content for people to go through different kinds of virtual economies. And yeah, that's super exciting. On the DAO front, we are creating a regional DAOs that will serve as kind of user acquisition deep into the local communities. So for example, we started YGG Southeast Asia, late last year, which is going deep into Indonesia, Thailand, Vietnam, and Malaysia. 
we have Indie GG in partnership with the Polygon folks, so which is bringing Plater Earn deep into India. Ola, which is in Lat, we invested into Base, which is a guild out of Brazil. And the idea is that we wanted to partner with folks who knew the ground really deeply, because with what we're doing, like we want to go deep into you know each village, town, city, and get people access to assets at Plater Earn. And we wanted to partner with the best people on the ground. Yeah, man, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Such an impact. So cool. I, you know, Miko, I do want to ask, you know, from your perspective, like as you're seeing this rocket ship, you know, continue to grow and take off, are you, we talked about metrics before, like, what is it that you're seeing that you get really excited about, you know, that it's measurable that you can maybe take from this experience and what you're seeing with YGG and, and I know it's hard, but like, you know, judge other folks that want to do similar things. Like, can you apply like what you're seeing and learning here? Uh, Oh, it's, there's no question. There's no question to me. Like what we care about, obviously, you know, we think about the entrepreneurs first. So like, you know, it's team. So, you know, the team is everything, but I think, you know, once we get through that, then the thing we really focus hard on is the problem and the solution, right? So the question is like, what problem are you solving, right? So if you actually look at the way Gabby described the problem, right? He described problems like, well, COVID hit and there's not that much employment and people need to survive and they need to feed their families. And they, you know, so it's sort of like, okay, is that a real problem? (laughs) You know, it's like, that is a real problem. That is real, real, you know, that's getting real, real. So like, you know, so asking silly questions like, well, can the player learn how to use MetaMask or can they learn how to, it's like, they are going to, like, they're going to, they're going to do everything, right? Because that's what they need to do, right? Like they have a serious problem, right? So to me, like, you know, it's hard for game fi people to talk about kind of problems that they solve because a lot of times they're kind of solving problems like I'm bored or, you know, which is okay. And it's beautiful to help people feel better in the world and entertain people. But, you know, for me, that's kind of the beating heart is sort of like, okay, like, is this a serious problem, you know, and with a serious solution? So that that's my perspective. Yeah, there are over 3 billion gamers in the world. And the fact that you can use games as a way for people to get into crypto and earn money. The interesting thing about our community is that most of the time when our players get recruited, they don't know anything about MetaMask, Ronin Wallet. They don't know anything about crypto, but they know how to play a game and they want to make money while playing a game. So they get onboarded to the community. They start learning how to play Axie. And two weeks later, when it's cash out time, you can bet that they will learn how to use a wallet really quickly. Yeah, dude, for sure. And it's just, gosh, it's so interesting, man. Like, again, we came out of this world where it was like, you know, as kids or whatever, you could play video games and if you got really, really good, maybe you could make money out of it, right? Like even that was mind blowing, right? Like to our parents or whatever saying you can make money playing video games. Yeah, but you know, you do have to be pretty good to do it and all that stuff. Dude, this is completely flipping it's on its, it, on its head, right? Again, it's, it's a whole other level. Like, Anybody can literally come in and do that. You know, you dedicate your time and effort to it, but you don't have to necessarily be, you know, the rock star ninja or whatever when it comes to gaming. It's just, it's such a cool iteration of gaming and blockchain. Um, yeah. And yeah. remember when esports was early and people were winning 
like huge cash prizes. And there's a lot of pushback, yeah. like games aren't sports. That's not real. There was so much resistance to it. And I think we're seeing it now later and as well. Like, you know, is that even real game or people, is it doing anything good for society? And if you look at how many people it's reaching with ability to earn via the, these kind of virtual economies, um, the answer is definitely yes. Hell yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I guess I got to ask Gabby with regard to that sort of transition to play to earn and, and you having been in the gaming industry for so long, how do you respond to sort of the naysayers that talk about this tension with traditional gamers? And where do you think all that's going to, how that's going to play out? A lot of this tension, and actually Miko and I talked about this, had a really wonderful conversation about this, is a lot of people who play games are, you know, use it as a form of escapism. And a lot of the time they want to separate playing the game from the commercial part, like especially from these people who have felt like the publishers have been squeezing them for money to play the games that they enjoy. And they see NFTs inside games as a way to kind of, I guess, overt financialization of the games. But if you look at the the people who are enjoying these games, if you look at the people who are benefiting, there's actually a massive benefit. And people in the provinces of the Philippines aren't asking like, oh, is is like is play to earn ruining my game experience? They're playing it, they're enjoying, and yeah, it's making their lives better at the same time. Honestly, I don't think that games that you will play for pure enjoyment will ever go away. But here now is a different type of game with an added purpose, which I think is a pretty noble one and the one that can spread gaming to more people around the world because like people can feel productive earning money while learning skills while doing it. So I just think that this will just continue to grow over time. And yeah. yeah, and everything will just coexist. And, and speaking of purpose, I mean, you guys did some some pretty major relief efforts around um, Typhoon Odette. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So last December, a huge typhoon rolled around the Philippines, where a huge part of our player community is at. So this is the week before Christmas. And a lot of people, they pretty much lost their homes. And we kind of helped coordinate the efforts of the community and raised $1.5 million from the crypto NFT play-to-earn communities to help with the relief efforts. So we were able to channel that towards uh, various aid organizations on the ground to help people get back on their feet. Yeah, I mean, you guys are used to organizing in a decentralized way for a clear purpose, right? So it's it's a great sort of way to to pivot that energy of the community. Yeah, honestly, I never thought that it would be part of our job description to organize like aid and relief efforts. But it turned out, yes, raising money from the crypto community that really wanted to help out our players was like was something that we could do. That's fascinating. It's beautiful. I hear a, a sub DAO strategy for international rollout and, and rapid expansion here. Sounds like another <laughs> implementation of your fantastic abilities here. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so the sub DAOs are basically like regionalized versions of YGG that are implementing specific strategies for spreading play to earn across different parts of the world. So there's really no like one size fits all strategy to expansion, especially with different countries, with different cultures, languages. So the way that you're spreading a like play to earn, for example, in Indonesia is going to be very 
different than India, which is going to be very different from Brazil. So the sub-DAOs is a way of us uh, creating the guild structure in different parts of the world and finding the best partners. So for example, the base guys in in Brazil, of course, they know the ground pretty well. They know what games would work well with the Brazilian market. They have very heavy focus on mobile esports because most of the people there own Android phones and yeah, just love to play these competitive games. So that's just an example of us really personalizing mm. so that we can relate better to the players in those countries. Yeah, that uh, that makes a ton of sense. You know, we see that of course, in, in, in corporate and in the corporate world, you know, going into different markets, having to have a, a completely different marketing strategy message and those different places. Yeah, this is interesting, too. And I, I wonder if I wonder if this will have an impact on politics, you know, watching the way this type of thing evolves, being able to access, you know, unique markets and let people build uh, kind of localized campaigns around a specific movement. You know, politics is something we actually really think about. And again, there's a huge political discussion or huge philosophical discussion here. When you give people income that is basically sovereign from the country that they live in and they get loyalty around the guild because you're helping them live a better life, like what this does mean for politics in, in these countries involved. Yeah, that's it's kind of crazy to think, but I think that some of our local scholarship managers are actually able to accrue some kind of loyalty from the people that follow them in in these regions around the world. And that that usually means political power, if you look at the arc of history. Yeah, for sure. And Miko, how does like DAOs and the involved kind of intricacies of DAOs and the decision-making and how that can influence an organization, even sub-DAOs, how does that influence your thinking from an investment perspective when you're thinking about, you know, whether you put dollars into capital, into time, into companies where you're not necessarily just talking to a CEO or a board that's guiding the direction of a company? Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things that still remains is a desire for leadership. So I think we are all still mammals and we still have, we're born to parents who care for us. And so we look up to people, right? So I, I think even with DAOs and sub-DAOs, you know, like YGG, right? There's still a strong need for like humans and for human examples, for leadership, you know, and I think this is really a essential thing that we'll never really separate from. So, you know, I, I definitely see that even with this kind of like, maximal decentralization, you know, we still have like the stories, the the, the realities. So, you know, I, I think that's kind of the way I reason about this is trust still remains. You can trust code, you can trust open source, you can trust blockchain ledgers, you can trust this kind of trustless infrastructure, but you can also trust humans, right? It's still possible. And, and you know, I think institutions are losing trust. But, you know, I think that humans are still able to retain trust, I think. And, you know, it, just some, some of them. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Centerpiece of most healthy cultures, right? Good environment of trust. And it goes to the transparency we were talking about a little bit earlier, right? Yeah. The transparency, the trust, the communications, we are not set up like a typical profit maximizing corporation. We don't exactly tell the sub what to do, but we are incentive aligned. We have the common culture of wanting to help make the players' lives better first. And from there, because we're incentive aligned, because we have the same values, and because we're very transparent about what we do, it helps people move in the right direction without a traditional command and control type of uh, company. Yeah, for sure, man. Having that strong why, right? Such a great North Star. 
so guys, as you think about, you know, the inspirations, you know, for you outside of your day to day, like what other projects or, or things happening in the world of, of NFTs is inspirational for you? Oh, there's so many things that are inspirational. So at the end of last year, I actually took a break from thinking about work and went back to my first love, which is going BGN into NFTs. And I haven't been able to do that for much of 2021, just because like work was so crazy. And that enabled me to kind of check out different chains, set up new wallets, set up, buy into new NFT projects. And this actually got me into discovering uh, Clonex uh, back, uh, back in January, which is one of my absolute favorite NFT projects. And I think they've done a really good job. If you look at a lot of the projects that have a kind of long-term horizon, you can release a 10K PFP project, but it's not just a PFP. I think of these 10K and, uh, NFT projects, uh, PFP projects as like the layer one for IP. So if you have really good IP, you can start something with like that looks like just a simple PFP project. And then if you look at what Clonex has done, they've layered like airdrop upon airdrop and building experiences on top of it. And I think it's just a great way to build IP in, in today's world where you may start with a character, but it's actually the base layer for a whole metaverse world. Well, it's exciting that you mentioned that project because I just got a monolith. So hopefully I won't regret that decision. Is that one of the elements of the ecosystem that you're a fan of? Yeah, absolutely. I got airdropped 11 monoliths and I have a bunch of the Clonex pods. And what they're doing where you're getting airdrop upon airdrop, if you hold kind of the base layer NFTs, is just pure genius. We have this concept in YGG, the founders coin, that, that we gave for free to members of the community when we were starting out. There's only 300 of them. And we're also giving them airdrops, not only NFTs, but also physical airdrops like merch. And for people that hold that, the value of that NFT has actually risen. Like at one point, it hit around 30 ETH. It's probably somewhere like under 10 ETH now. And it would have absolutely changed people's lives if they sold it, but they identify with being an early member of Yield Guild as kind of a holder of this founder's coin so much that some of them are just never going to sell it and they're just going to receive cool airdrops for life. Yeah, so much of that happening in so many cool ways. You know, Miko, I wanted to ask, dude, what's inspiring you today? Other than the stuff we've talked about already today, like where are you getting jazzed? Yeah, I'm very excited about the entire phenomenon and the development of culture. I think Gabby talked about IP and I think IP, this idea of an evergreen transmedia franchise that's sort of decentralized. I think Bored Apes is headed that way by, you know, getting a bunch of celebrities, obviously, but also kind of commissioning their own games. So Bored Apes games coming, you know, and so to me, the thing that's exciting is that, you know, I think the first wave of NFT, like basically the internet invented object permanence. And so now the internet is like, oh, it's like a, it's like a baby that suddenly is able to see things permanent. You know, it's like, oh, those, that object is permanent now, right? And, you know, instead of kind of filling it with beanie babies, you know, like, let's just take an animal and a blockchain and crisscross them, <laughs> you know, like, uh, it's like, now there nice. are actual projects with ambitions to make, I would say, immortal worthy IP, right? So it's so an IP that, that belongs forever in this blockchain, you know, because I think we invented a form of digital immortality. So like, wh why shouldn't we use it? Like, why shouldn't we put things in there that are that are worthy? 
you know, things like the founder coin of YGG, like, you know, that's something that's a hold forever, right? Like, I think Warren Buffett said my favorite holding period is forever, right? So it's sort of like, what a better thing to say about NFTs. I know he doesn't like NFTs, but, you know, he should. I agree. Yeah, he definitely should. No, it's it's, it's so key, right? It's, it's central to everything that's happening, that immutability. Well, great stuff, guys. Super exciting. I mean, for, for all our listeners, check it out, YGG. So many cool things happening in there. What a community that you've built and that's growing. Wow. We interrupt the Edge of NFT podcast to reveal one of the best kept secrets in the NFT space right now, the Coin Network. If you are a creator or a builder or an investor in groundbreaking projects, you need to dive into Koi ASAP. Why? Imagine a new internet where each time your posts get viewed on TikTok, Instagram, or Twitter, you earn rewards. Koi's revolutionary decentralized infrastructure scales this new internet to the whole globe, transforming attention into an asset and every creator into an earner, all without the expensive high-energy usage of old-school blockchains. Here is the best way to learn more and earn more by becoming a founding member of the growing Koi community. Go to edgeofnft.com slash koi. That's edgeofnft.com slash K-O-I-I, two I's. There you can publish your first Koi NFTs for free and start earning Koi today. The new internet is coming. Don't you want to be valued on it? So we wanted to take a, a minute and shift gears, actually, just a smidge and get your personal perspective on some fun questions that we have, which we call Edge Quick Hitters. There's 10 questions. We're looking for short, single word or few word responses, but we may dive in a little deeper here or there just to have some fun. So you guys ready to jump in on this thing? Let's do it. All right, cool. So Gabby, we'll start with you. Question one, what is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? I think it was stamps, actually. I was a collector even at an early age. Thanks. Sophisticated, bro. That's great. <laughs> I, I think nice. that's, our, that's our first stamp collector. Yeah, I dig it. Miko, how about you? It was like a Bazooka Joe bubblegum with the comic inside. That was so awesome. <laughs> yeah, man. You got, you got some, I remember those. Oh, they're so good. <laughs> you got some like, old school comics sitting around? No, I don't. Oh, <laughs> I wish. That's a bummer. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Okay, question two, Gabby. What is the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? Selling NBA cards, actually. I was doing it for lunch money. Nice, nice. How about you, Miko? I think I sold like a G.I. Joe to my brother, I think. <laughs> <laughs> there's, um, there's definitely a lot of family arbitrage on this show. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Very cool. Question three. Gabby, what is the most recent thing you purchased? Most recent thing? I'm pretty sure it was an NFT. Oh, I got nice. AirPods Pro for my wife yesterday. Oh, nice. <laughs> cool. Very cool. Nico, how about you? I think I the most recent was this morning when I acquired some uh, equity with some token warrants from an entrepreneur. <laughs> hey, rock on. Man. What a very VC thing to say. <laughs> that was an angel investment. What can I say? Hey, perfect. Perfect. Sweet. Question four, Gabby. What's the most recent thing you sold? Okay. I sold some NFTs yesterday. Actually sold some MeBits at the profit. Oh, nice. Yeah. Exciting project for sure. Cool. Miko, how about you? 
That's a great question. I'm a long-term guy. I don't sell. Yeah. <laughs> Diamond hands. <laughs> nothing. No couch on Craigslist. Nothing, nothing. <laughs> I'm holding that couch forever. There it is. Okay, cool. All right. <laughs> My favorite investors only have like the buy button. Don't have the sell button. That's the kind of investor that you want. <laughs> That's it. Question five. Gabby, what is your most prized possession? Prized possession, definitely my crypto wallet. There it is. A lot of us can say that. That's for sure. Miko, how about you? Yeah, I would have said the same thing. Uh, I think at the moment, probably ETH. <laughs> I, I'm holding my ETH. <laughs> there it is. Hold on tight. Question six. Gabby, if you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical, service, and experience that's currently for sale, what would it be? Uh, that's that's a super good question. Of course, my mind goes towards one one NFT, probably the first artwork that Josie Bellini ever put out. That's what I would buy. Rock and roll. Miko, what do you got your eye on? That's amazing. You know, I would want, I think it would be fun to have like a big castle and have like guild events, like just make a guild hall, like a yeah. physical real guild hall. Yeah. And then like, yeah, yeah, right. And we could all hang out <laughs> and we could get like swords and whatnot. <laughs> and, and go jousting, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's it. That's it. I dig it. We, yeah, we've had some castle stuff on this show before, but, but not, nothing quite as extravagant as that, Nico. That's awesome. Very cool. Awesome. Okay, question number seven, Gabby. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? Curiosity. Could definitely see that, sir. Miko, how about you? Oh, wow. It's so, that's such a hard thing. Cause you know, I, I actually have a son, so I think about this question all the time, but if there's only one possible thing, you know, I would say probably like hard work. Yeah. Cannot knock that. None of us said our dashing good looks. <laughs> <laughs> Moving Which is already passed down anyway. <laughs> right. Well, well, I don't know. There's some rumors Ethan was on The Bachelor at some point in his in, in past life. <laughs> yes, wow. indeed. That's right. Yeah, there you go. That's great that Miko said hard work. He's had such a gigantic smile on his face the whole time. Really like, this guy's yeah. having too much fun. Love what you honest. do, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, moving on, guys. Question eight. If you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, Gabby, what would it be? Eliminate one of my personality traits. Yes, sir. It's probably my short attention span. Wow. <laughs> Keeping focus is a good thing, that's for sure. Seems like you've been able to uh, overcome that for sure in your current pursuit. Vico, how about you? That's interesting. I would say that, like, I'm an anxious person. I'd probably prefer to be less anxious. That would probably be nice for the next generation. Rock and roll. There it is. A little bit easier, guys. Question nine. Gabby, what did you do just before joining us on the podcast? I just woke up. <laughs> <laughs> what time is it there, buddy? It's 7.50 a.m. So awesome. I woke up at 6.45. Rock and, and roll. Straight to here. There it is. Well, glad you did. How about you, Miko? I made a toast. So I got this toast. No, ah. no, no, Im no images appeared in the toast, though. It was just a, it was just toast. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. See, it could, yeah, it could have gone a few different directions too, right? Was it uh, you know, like a toast, like we were at a, a cocktail yeah. party or what? Yeah. That's cool. The last one, guys, question 10. Gabby, what are you going to do next after the podcast? What I'm going to do, definitely coffee. Ah, all right. <laughs> Nico, how about you? 
I love it. I think I'm going to go to an investment committee meeting. <laughs> <laughs> nice, man. Nice. We could probably combine those two, I think, and have a good result. With almost $25 billion in sales in 2021, there's no denying the NFT market is on fire. But what many investors don't realize is demand has skyrocketed for another asset, thanks in part to this NFT boom. The asset I'm talking about is multi-million dollar blue chip art. And it's been so hot, a Banksy offering on the Masterworks platform recently sold for $7.4 million. And what's even more incredible is, all shares of this Banksy offering sold out in just three hours. According to Masterworks, similar works by Banksy saw a price appreciation of 19.9% from 2007 to 2020, outpacing the S&P 500 by nearly a factor of two over the same time period. And Masterworks investors recently saw a 32% annualized appreciation net of fees from the sale of another Banksy painting called Mona Lisa. To discover how to buy into similar offerings by Banksy, Picasso, and Monet for a fraction of the cost of the entire painting, visit edgeofnft.com masterworks. That's edgeofnft.com masterworks. For important disclosures, visit masterworks.io disclaimer. Hey there. Are you in the Edge of NFT Discord? If not, it's time to hop in. Many awesome things going on right now. One, we're giving away some really great POAP NFTs to our most engaged participants. Earn one by reaching level six and another by reaching level 20 by February 28th. And every Tuesday, we've got trivia night at 6 p.m. Pacific time. Nerd out with your fellow NFT fans. Don't worry, trivia is general knowledge to accommodate participants of all levels. Uh, we're giving away prizes each week. Last week, we gave away over 100 bucks worth of ETH. Go to edgeofnft.com slash discord to get involved. Of course, when you are there, there's all sorts of other perks. Get the latest behind-the-scenes info on all of our projects, including NFTLA, Living Tree NFTs, Spirit Seed NFTs, and the podcast, and other little-known but really cool stuff. On top of all that, meet some other great community members and pass around the latest NFT intel. Edgeofnft.com slash discord. Cool, guys. That's 10 questions. That's Edge Quick Hitters. We appreciate you indulging us there a little bit. Lots of fun. So I think we have some hot topics hot to topics. hit. What do you Let's say? Let's hit it. All right. But just another question, Gabby, did you have already have a coffee or were we getting you pre-coffee? That's pretty impressive. I am pre-coffee. Wow. Well done, sir. <laughs> well done. Well done. <laughs> okay. First I'm going to come out right after this. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Get this man an IV coffee. Okay. First hot topic on, on the block here, how Azuki suddenly became the world's best-selling NFT collection. Talk about suddenly. Yeah, I was just like looking at OpenSea today. I was like, what's Azuki's? Like, I'm having an NFT podcast. <laughs> Should know this. Anime-style characters known as Azuki's were priced at 3400 USD a piece. They sold in three minutes, raking in over just $29 million. Another $2 million worth were sold in private offering a few days later. Yeah. Then things really heated up. In the four weeks ended February 11th, Azuki's did nearly 300 million in transaction volume across several major NFT marketplaces like OpenSea. Yeah, I mean, I was talking about this, you know, with, with a friend about kind of like the various little trends that are coming into NFT projects and how just, just when one kind of pops on the radar, you know, something else that has its own kind of spin on things and, and makes you think, you know, whole new thoughts about what could be successful. Yeah, Josh, what are your thoughts? 
these things are I'm on OpenSea right now. And I saw these over the weekend too. And I was like, what is going on here? They're selling for fifty to a hundred thousand dollars each right now. As we speak, they've been holding their value and they give you membership access to a garden which is a corner of the internet where artists, builders, and Web3 enthusiasts meet to create a decentralized future. So definitely a pretty ambitious roadmap there that seems to have attracted quite a bit of attention. Have you guys caught wind of these, these Azukis? I have five of the top 100 rarity Azukis. Abby, <laughs> on wow. top of it, bro. Amazing. Wow. So tell us though, like, so like we got, you know, a thousand different things like we can focus on, right? So what garnered your attention around these, man? How did you get privy to it? So I found them in secondary, like I am too old slash too busy to get into mints. So I consider myself like a series A DJ I wait <laughs> for the best ones to bubble up. And then I can go and buy and see. So Azuki caught my eye going back to the thesis that PFPs are the layer one of IP and seeing that it, first of all, the art is incredibly strong. Their art director was the former art director of Overwatch for Blizzard Entertainment. And if you see the execution, it's just really good. You can see that there's a lot of thought that the team has put into executing what is going to happen after the PFV drop. It's going to be merch. It's going to be IP. A lot of these, Clone X and Azuki in particular, I think are doing well to follow the footsteps of Board Apes in terms of just layering culture on top of the PFP itself. And there's also been a, I would say, a lack of really good like Asian style anime PFPs. And they're the ones that have absolutely nailed it. So this, I mean, anime is a global cultural phenomenon at this point, right? It's not just Asian, but it includes a lot of people in Asia who would want to buy these high quality PFPs as well. So I was just so bullish on the project. And yeah, I ended up spending a lot more money than I, I yeah. thought I would. You know, it's funny, Matt Kalish came on the show about 10, 20 episodes back and had a similar approach to, you know, at this point, buying after the mint because he wants to see what's going to happen. Plus, you know, we're all so busy and yeah, it's an interesting strategy. I got to call some attention, guys, before we wrap this topic to their vision and values. The number two, well, the first value is community first. The number three is trust the process. But the number two value I really love, dope shit only. Azuki is creative brand, brave and relentless. It's easy to follow trends and improve incrementally. It's harder to be original and do dope shit. We pave our own path. I really like that. Yeah, that's yeah, great. That's good stuff. And by the way, it just time flies. I think Kalish was on like 50 episodes ago, by the way. It wasn't that long ago because oh, we do a lot of episodes. But just to give you a sense, like it's crazy how time flies. It's all blurring together. And this is episode <laughs> one, just for perspective, Miko and Gabby, this is episode 110 to put yeah, that into nice. perspective. Yeah. I never even knew there was an NFT podcast with 110 episodes. That's us, bro. <laughs> yeah, well, we're glad we have you on it, man. But Miko, did you, have you had any exposure to this project? No, first time hearing about it. But, you know, I went thinking about like anime, like that it's sort of astonishingly deep. So, you know, I think the approach is beautiful. And, you know, I think the art's really amazing. Pretty cool. Yeah, a lot to talk about on this one. I think, well, unfortunately, we got to get to the next one. British authorities just seized NFTs for the first time in a 1.4 million pound fraud probe. Britain's tax watchdog has seized three NFTs in what is thought to be the first seizure by a UK law enforcement agency. Officials at 
Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs say that the seized NFTs during the investigation into a suspected value-added tax fraud case worth 1.4 million, and that's 1.9 million USD. Three suspects have been arrested on suspicion of attempting to defraud the tax man. Well, what I find interesting about this is, you know, for, for outsiders on the crypto space, there's such a, and maybe the word crypto, it just has like a weird kind of feeling to it. It, it, it kind of seems like this underbelly and this kind of fraudulent and this kind of overhyped type of thing. And, you know, as far as people we see, there's so much like good energy and good nature going on. You know, we're looking at some of the things that you guys are doing, kind of helping out disaster relief, stuff like that. But it's it's actually nice to see the fraud that is happening, you know, something there to kind of watch it and clean it up. Yeah, well, good to see people taking action on it. Yeah, good. Nice to see that because th there is we have to remember with any of these things, they're moving so fast. The technology is moving so quickly. There are bad actors in there. We've seen it with certain projects like legit rug pulls and things like that directly within the community. And in this case, I think these guys were legitimately using the project to try to like claim back more of the VAT taxes than they were entitled to. I mean, we're talking about like fake phones and invoices and, and all kinds of different like fake accounts left and right, A relatively intricate scheme. Um, but we're going to see stuff like this happen. It's good to, to keep an eye on it and also just be aware that there are bad actors out there. Be smart with what you're doing, what you're investing in research it, understanding what's happening, protecting your information so you don't end up caught up in stuff like this. It's always just a good reminder as things are moving so fast to still be smart about what you're doing with your information, with your money and the projects you're getting involved with. Any other thoughts on this one? No, I mean, I think that it does, the space does draw like some of the worst and the best. And, you know, it is good to see, uh, you know, it's sort of things kind of getting cleaned up. Yeah. We were getting a chance. We're going to actually be able to have a, a meeting with him, uh, a guy named Joey Ito, who uh, has the number one tech podcast. And uh, do you know Joey by any chance, Miko? I do. I do. Uh, he's a, a real OG from like even the first internet all the way back. Yeah. He, I heard him talking the other day, you know, because he, he worked at New Media Lab, oversaw New Media Lab at, at MIT for yep. uh, a number of years and uh, just kind of... <laughs> Yeah, just hearing him talk about how, you know, he, he had to kind of fight the sort of myth, right, around being sort of a crypto uh, currency interested guy who wanted to promote that kind of stuff. And it's, it's just, you know, it's just really beautiful to see the process of, of folks getting through that. And again, you know, sort of dealing with these actual issues in a fair way. Let's hit the next hot topic here and then we'll wrap up. So FAYRE, F-A-Y-R-E, raised $3.8 to help brands create and manage NFT communities. London-based NFT markets place that uh, recently raised $3.8 in private funding ahead of its public token sale and platform launch is the brainchild of Louis Carranza, a marketing and innovation strategist with vast experience. Immediately after Bozan, Carranza decided to launch, maybe it's pronounced FIRE, I think, a, a platform where brands and celebrities can create and manage NFT fan drops as clubs or decentralized loyalty programs. The brand dashboard is different from all others in the space, and it allows brands and IP owners to manage NFT communities. Very interesting add-on to how they manage other social social platforms. Yeah, I mean, community is so central and, and a place like OpenSea, you can't do anything like that. Yeah, right? well, there's just like this need and, and we don't know who the winner or winners will be that are going to create the easy button for people to connect with their communities on the, the back of NFTs, right? We talked to, was it Julian Rodriguez, right? From Memento, so was on the show 
really cool project doing doing similar things, solving a similar you know problem there, helping people to reward and connect with their fans in a way that is is an easy button, which is really what's required for a lot of creators because they're busy in creation mode and not necessarily in the world of thinking about how to build a, a contract, you know, for a particular drop or how to manage all the ins and outs of particular NFT drops and, and then to manage the back end of it and, and build the utility and all those things. The quicker we can get to a spot where somebody can flip a switch and do that to build, um, you know, community within their already existing base of followers, I think the quicker that we'll see, you know, the uptake across a lot of mainstream influencers that are out there and brands really too. Yeah, Gabby, I had a kind of follow-up from something you said, you know, both earlier in the Hot Topics and earlier in the show, just kind of on this topic of communities. You mentioned the sort of PFP projects being like the layer one of IP, right? How much do you think the fact that they're actual profile pictures, right? Like like kind of like a head and a face and, and like to have this kind of personality, does that need to be assigned to these NFT collections for them to kind of have that kind of larger IP value? Or is there a potential to have a project with the large number of NFTs a collection could be something more sort of abstractly artistic or something like that? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that having faces like the PFPs, uh, basically faces that people can put on their profiles definitely helps with promoting a certain NFT collection. So that said, you do have like art blocks, generative art that get wildly popular, even though the art is a lot more abstract, I would say. So it's not necessary. But if I was building IP, like I've said before that if Walt Disney were building his Disney IP empire today, he'd probably start with a PFP project and just layer on everything, including the theme parks on top of that. But yeah, I mean, like you have, Things like Decentraland, which is done really well, Sandbox, that are land-based projects. You have generative art. So it's definitely possible to do other things. But I think PFPs are just, as a base layer, like the best way to go. Yeah, and you'd think like maybe if Decentraland was re reimagined today, they might have started with a PFP project to begin with, maybe. Yeah, could be possible. If you see like Crypto Unicorns, for example, like they have the really good unicorns that have names and they also have land, but it's people aren't putting the land as their profile pictures. They're putting the unicorns. Yeah. And thanks for adding this, you know, wonderful image, which for, for some reason I never had before of Walt Disney being alive today and having sort of this whole NFT IP, you know, cultural emergence at, at his face. He'd be trying to do an NFT drop for sure. And people would be calling him a scammer. <laughs> but yeah, this is exactly what he'd be doing today. Beautiful. Well, good stuff, guys. Well, look, yeah, I think that's a wrap on Hot Topics. Fun time, fellas. Really fun time. I know our listeners are going to be itching to follow everything that's happening at YGG, as well as with you guys being at the forefront of so many cool things in the space. Where can they go to follow you and your projects? So for us, go to our Discord community, discord.gg slash YGG and twitter.com slash Yield Guild. Beautiful. Yeah, for me, uh, it's just Twitter, Miko Java, M-I-K-O-J-A-V-A. There it is, guys. All right, so follow those guys. 
see what's popping, stay at the forefront of everything exciting in the space. And I think we're also going to be doing a little giveaway as well. I think we got a, a pack of three axes. We're going to get some details out, follow our socials. We'll share that with you in the community. Get excited about it. Really fun stuff. And guys, very grateful for that offering. Thank you so much for that. So I think, yeah, I think that's a wrap guys overall on the episode. I think we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. So thank you for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How go to Spotify or iTunes right now, rate us, say something awesome, and then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. And remember, we always invite you to co-create and build with us at Edge of NFT. We are unlocking a whole new way to connect and collaborate with us through our own NFT drops, Spirit Seeds, leading to Living Tree NFTs, which light the way to our event, NFTLA, a one-of-a-kind, immersive, and unforgettable experience in LA at the Los Angeles Convention Center, March 28th to the 31st. Check it out at nftla.live and move quick on early tickets because they're moving fast. And lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go, just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.